Today is Friday. It's the 24th of January, 2020. Today, Sayadaw will first of all explain two ways of practicing metta meditation, explaining it to the foreign meditators who are here at the Chamyemyain Meditation Center. And then in the second part, Sayadaw will talk about uh, certain things that we have to avoid during the metta practice. And then in a third part, Sayadaw will explain how the metta sutta, the discourse on loving kindness, came to be, how it came into existence. <laughs> so first of all, Sayadaw will talk about the two ways of practicing metta meditation. The first way of practicing metta meditation is to cultivate metta, loving-kindness, just for the sake of cultivating this mental state, also as a way of developing something wholesome. Then the second way is to develop metta in order to attain, to attain the jhana, the absorptions. So the first way of cultivating metta in order just to arouse this um, mental state of loving-kindness uh, to arouse a wholesome state. This can be done, for example, when doing the metta chants. So this then amounts to cultivate uh, loving-kindness as a wholesome, as something wholesome. So, for example, when we chant Sabe Sata, Avera Hontu, Abhyapacha Hontu, Aniga Hontu, and so on. So this is to uh, cultivate metta for the sake of arousing loving-kindness 
and as developing something wholesome. Or some, some people, they recite the Metta Sutta as a way of simply cultivating a wholesome state of mind, loving kindness. And some people recite the Metta Sutta as many times as their age is. And some of these people, they recite the Metta Sutta, although not really understanding what they recite. But if they are, let's say, 20 years old, then they recite the Metta Sutta 20 times. If they are 30 years old, they recite it 30 times. Or if they are 60 years old, then they recite it 60 times over the day. And some people, they recite like verses, meta-verses or poems. And they recite it in this way in order to cultivate, arouse loving-kindness and also to cultivate something wholesome. For people who cultivate metta in this way, simply to arouse a wholesome state, arousing loving kindness in one's heart and mind. So for these people, there is nothing special that they need to do, and there is nothing special that they need to avoid. However, for the second way of cultivating metta, namely to cultivate metta in order to attain the jhana based on this metta practice, to uh, attain the metta absorptions, deep states of concentration. For cultivating metta in this way, there are certain points that we need to refrain from, to avoid, and there are certain points that we need uh, to take into account, that we need to follow. Mm-hmm. 
the instructions that you get here in this meditation, meta-meditation retreat are the instructions of cultivating metta in order to attain the metta jhanas, absorptions, in order to um, cultivate strong and powerful loving-kindness. So when the samadhi, the concentration based on the metta practice, becomes very strong, we can speak of metta-samadhi, and a very strong metta-samadhi then leads to the metta-jhana, the absorption based on the metta practice. When we speak of uh, deep metta samadhi, deep concentration based on metta um, or metta jhana, the absorption based on the metta practice, this means that one's mind is fully absorbed in the object of one's metta meditation, which means the person or the being who is the object of our Metta meditation. So the mind is fully absorbed in this person, in this object, and the mind does not wander anymore, does not go out anymore. So, in order to cultivate metta in this way, one needs to cultivated that by reciting the phrases one uses a language one is familiar with. And then for the cultivation of metta, using a metta wish or metta phrase. This phrase should be quite short. It should not consist of many words. It should not be long, a long sentence, but it should be quite short and to the point. And next, we have to be uh, careful that when we recite the words, that we really wish uh, that this other person be well, that this other person be happy and peaceful. We should not uh, cultivate metta in a superficial way, but we should do it uh, diligently. Uh, 
and we should try to do the cultivation uninterruptedly without any breaks to have the cultivation of metta um, constant in the same way as the hands of a clock move constantly forward. They do not stop. So these are the points one uh, should bear in mind, the points that one should pay attention to. And now Sayadaw will mention the points that one should avoid or refrain from. First of all, one should not start with a person whom is very dear to oneself, whom one loves very much. And also, one should not start the metta practice with a person one neither loves nor hates, meaning not starting with a neutral person. And also, one should not start the metta practice with a person one hates or a person one considers to be an enemy. And also, one should not um, cultivate metta for a person who has already died. So in no case in this method, um, one should take a dead person. Because if one cultivates metta for a person who has died, one is not able to attain the jhana, the metta jhana, the absorptions based on metta. In the Visuddhimagga, <coughs> commentary to the Visuddhimagga, there is an example to illustrate this point. There was a monk who uh, practiced metta meditation, but however he practiced, he was not able to attain a metta jhana, the absorption. So then this monk was reflecting why he couldn't attain deep concentration, why he could not attain the metta jhana, although he was practicing very diligently, although he put a lot of effort into the practice, and although he had been practicing for quite a long time. 
So reflecting on that, but he didn't come to a conclusion. He didn't find an answer to this. So then this monk went to a near monastery and went to the abbot and told him that he had been practicing metta meditation, telling him that he was practicing very diligently uh, already for quite some time, but despite of that, he was not able to attain any metta jhana. And so he asked the teacher, the abbot, why he could not attain any metta jhana. Then the Sayadaw, or the teacher, the monk, asked this monk, for, uh, for whom are you cultivating metta? And so the monk said, I am cultivating metta for my preceptor. So then the Sayadaw, um, the abbot, asked the monk, your preceptor, is he still alive or has he died? Please go and find out. And so the monk went to uh, inquire about his preceptor, and he found out that his preceptor had already died. So then the monk went back to the abbot and he told him that his preceptor had died, that he was no longer alive. And to this the Sayadaw said, ah, so uh, cultivating metta towards your preceptor who has already died, this is why you cannot attain metta samadhi, that's why you cannot attain uh, a deep concentration, uh, the jhana. So that's why we should understand that when we cultivate metta in order to attain deep states of concentration, to attain metta jhana, then we should not uh, choose a person who has already died. So please 
um, re uh, remember that you should not cultivate metta for a dead person when you cultivate metta in order to attain the metta jhanas. Another point to refrain from is one should not cultivate metta for a person of one's of a, a different sex. If one starts with a person of the opposite sex at the beginning of one's metta practice, then instead of metta, loving-kindness, um, attachment, craving, lust may arise instead. And again here in the Visuddhimagga, there is a story to illustrate this point. So there is uh, one man, he wanted to cultivate metta, metta, practice metta meditation. And so when a monk passed by his house, he went out to ask this monk for whom he should uh, cultivate metta or how, she sh how he should practice metta meditation. And so that monk then said, ah, for the cultivation of metta meditation, um, cultivate metta for the dearest person, or the person you love most. So then, this man reflected on who was the person he loved most in his life, and he came to the conclusion that it was his wife. So then he started to practice metta meditation for his wife, wishing, may my wife be well, happy, and peaceful. May my wife be well, happy, and peaceful. <laughs> so 
So engaging in uh, practicing metta meditation, they, uh, they, they slept in two different rooms. So his wife was in one room and he was in another room. So, in his room, he cultivated metaphor, his wife, may my wife be well, happy and peaceful, may my wife be well, happy and peaceful. So, practicing for some, ki- for some time, but instead of metta, what then arose in his mind was lust and desire. And however he practiced, um, there was no metta, but his lust and desire grew stronger. So then, um, because of his strong lust and desire, he got out of his room and knocked on the door of his wife. Dok, 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 dok. But his wife did not open the door because she was sleeping. So, He knocked and knocked and knocked, but as she didn't open, then finally he banged his head against the door. So because the, the method of cultivating metta was not suitable, not correct, that's why he could not really arouse and cultivate metta. So when not following a suitable or the correct method of cultivating metta, one can not only not attain the jhana, but uh, one can hurt one's head. (laughs) So that's, Sayadaw doesn't want that you hurt and split your heads. That's why Sayadaw tells you the suitable or the correct way of cultivating metta. So therefore, you should remember that when cultivating metta, in this second way of cultivating, 
Um, you should not cultivate it for a person of the opposite sex, meaning women should not choose a man as an object and men should not choose a woman as an object of metta. However, Chanmye Sayadaw, or Sayadaw Ujanaka, he has said, or he has written, that it's at the beginning of one's practice, when the metta is not yet strong and powerful, that one should not choose a person of the opposite sex. However, after some time, when metta has become really strong and powerful, then it is possible to choose a person of the opposite sex and one is able to cultivate pure metta. And also, Desayado uh, has made the has the experience that when the metta has become really powerful and strong, when it is pure metta, then at such a time, to cultivating metta for a person of the opposite sex, then it stays pure um, metta, and there is no lust and desire arising. And also the point that at the beginning of one's practice one should not cultivate metaphor a person one hates or an enemy. This is for the beginning of the practice. Later on, when one's metta has become powerful and strong, then it is possible to even cultivate pure and genuine metta for a person one hates or a person one considers to be one's enemy. So this point of not starting with a person one hates or a person one considers to be one's enemy, this refers to uh, the beginning of one's practice. But later on, when practice deepens and the metta becomes powerful and strong, 
then it is possible to cultivate metta and it will be pure uh, metta. However, if one starts with such a person at the beginning, then instead of metta, it's most likely that um, aversion and ill will will arise. So when we engage in a systematic practice of metta meditation, then as it is pointed out in the Visuddhimagga, we should follow the following order, cultivating metta for persons of the following categories. First of all, the first category is to cultivate metta for oneself. The second category is to cultivate metta for a benefactor, a person one respects. Then the third category is a person who is dear to one, a close friend. The fourth category is a neutral person, a person one neither loves nor hates. The fifth category is a person one hates or an enemy. And then lastly, the sixth category is uh, cultivating metta for all living beings. So, so this is the order in which we should cultivate metta. Now Sayato is going to tell how the Metta Sutta, the discourse on loving kindness, came into existence. During the time of the Buddha, a group of 500 monks went to the Buddha just before the rains retreat was going to start and they asked him for Dhamma. So they uh, said to the Buddha, during Vasa, during the period of the rains, we want to go into the forest and practice meditation with the aim of uh, attaining Nibbana, complete liberation. Please give us instructions uh, of how to practice. So they 
So with that, the Buddha um, told this monk that they told the monks that in order to realize nibbana, to realize complete liberation, they should practice the Noble Eightfold Path and the four Satipatthanas, the four foundations of mindfulness. And so with this, these monks um, went into the forest and they started to practice Vipassana meditation. So the monks, um, the forest where the monks went to, to practice, it was a big forest with big trees. But in that forest, on the trees, there were so-called three devas. And when they realized that these 500 monks were there practicing there, they, they came down from the trees because these monks were endowed with sila, virtue, keeping the precepts. That's why they uh, could no longer live on the mountains, uh, on the trees. <laughs> and so therefore, they came down from the trees and uh, on the ground. Uh, because there are so-called earthbound devas, devas that live in trees, and they live on really huge trees, not on, uh, not on the small branches. Um, actually, living on the trees, they uh, they have a, they built their dwellings on the tree, which can be compared to like a palace. And but now, with the monks there in that forest, they did no longer dare to stay up on the trees in their dwellings, but they came down and stayed on the ground. So, um, you may find out, or yeah, have you ever seen a deva dwelling up on a tree? 
Um, have you seen it or have you not seen it? So the devas were thinking that these monks would only stay for a short while in that forest and after that that they would uh, go away, go somewhere else and therefore they tolerated them and uh, stayed on the ground. So the monks, they got up early in the morning, four o'clock, then went on arms round and practiced meditation the whole day. So one day, two days, three days, many days, and they stayed, so they did not go somewhere else. And so the devas, now living on the ground, it was not convenient, suitable for them to live on the ground with their deva children. So then they came together and um, were discussing how can we expulse these monks from here? How can we make them go away? How can we make leave our forest? So in order to frighten the monks, they, um, they manifested like heads, like only showing heads that uh, move through the forest. So when the monks saw these heads moving through the forest without the body attached to it, they became frightened. And also they manifested uh, as only bodies without a head. And then they also created loud, uh, loud and frightening sounds. And they also created um, bad smells, disgusting smells. Yeah. 
And so the monks then um, ask themselves, what are these bad smells, these disgusting smells and these loud sounds? So then the monks uh, could no longer fall asleep or could not sleep at night and um, they got headaches, they got dizzy, uh, they got sick and so they could no longer practice. So then the monks realized that under these conditions, with these bad smells and frightening sounds and all these terrible conditions, that it was no longer suitable to stay there uh, and practice because they could no longer practice. And so with that, they decided to go back uh, to where the Buddha was. So then the Buddha asked these monks, why do you come back to me? And so then the monks explained the situation that they had encountered there. And the monks requested the Buddha to send them to a suitable place to point out the suitable place for their meditation practice. So the Buddha said, my dear monks, to a suitable place for you to practice meditation is exactly the forest where you have been. There is no other suitable place for you. Therefore, go back to that forest and continue your practice there. But then the monk said, please, Buddha, do not send us back to that uh, forest. Uh, please have, have us not go back there. If we, if we go back to this place, we, we might die. Then the Buddha said, my dear monks, um, when you went to that forest first, you didn't have a weapon with you. That's why you encountered these dangers, these difficulties. But this time, I will give you a weapon. 
And with that, then the Buddha, um, the Buddha delivered the Metta Sutta, the discourse on loving kindness. Then the Buddha told them that they should go back to that forest while uh, reciting the Metta Sutta, while cultivating loving kindness. And with that, the monks went back to that forest while cultivating and reciting the Metta Sutta. When the devas saw these monks coming, coming back, realizing that they were cultivating metta, um, they were no longer, well, they, they welcomed them. Um, they were happy with, uh, with their monks coming back and practicing metta. For the devas, it was like they were the parents and now the monks. It was like their children came back after um, getting a good education. So uh, children coming back with a good education, having a good base to earn money to make uh, their livelihood. So the devas, they no longer hated the monks, but they actually loved the monks. The devas no longer regarded the monks as a danger or intruders, but they regarded them like... Uh, members of the family or close friends. So Metta is able to, uh, to overcome dangers or to avoid uh, dangers. And also through the practice of metta, what one first regards as an enemy then can become a friend. Or else, through the practice of metta meditation, a person one hates can turn into a person one loves. Yeah. And 
So if we want to be free from dangers, then we should cultivate metta. If we want to have um, many people we, we like, we love, we should cultivate metta. So most of the time, if a person has an enemy or if a, another person uh, causes harm to oneself, then usually the reaction is to also cause harm to the other person. So people think in this way they will uh, succeed or be successful. So for example, if another person offend, um, abuses oneself, one also abuses the other person. Or if another person hits oneself, then one also hits the other person. So in this way, one thinks one, um, one wins over the other person. This is why in the world, um, beat one person and another person, or one town against another town, or one country against another country, um, they quarrel and get into conflicts going back and forth, retaliating in the same way as one has been harmed. But it will never be possible to overcome one's enemy by hatred, by aggression, by aversion. One can only overcome one's enemy with metta, with kindness. So as the monks came back to the forest, um, full of metta, so the devas, they welcomed them and they loved them. So when the monks arrived in the forest, the devas went up to them 
greeted them, paid respect to them. They took their uh, arms bowls, their uh, spare robes, and uh, carried them for the monks to their respective places. So in this way, the devas did no longer cause uh, disturbance to the monks. Moreover, they even uh, took care that no other dangers would happen to the monks, so they prevented other dangers uh, to happen. So in this way, the monks could peacefully uh, continue with their meditation practice and then practicing Vipassana meditation, all the 500 monks became arahants, fully liberated. So, or practicing vipassana meditation without having practiced metta meditation, one can encounter dangers and obstacles. But basing one's vipassana meditation on the practice of metta meditation, then one is free from dangers and obstacles. And so, these 500 monks engaging. In the practice in this way, they were free from dangers and obstacles. They realized path and fruition knowledge and eventually became arahants, attaining Nibbana. And you also should uh, understand that metta, uh, is something that is needed everywhere. So in whatever activity we engage, we always should base our activities on metta. Then we will be successful. Without metta, it's difficult to be successful. So please understand that if you want to realize path and fruition knowledge, if you want to realize Nibbana, complete liberation, um, it's not enough to only uh, practice Vipassana meditation. You, you also need metta uh, in order to realize path and fruition knowledge. You need metta to realize uh, nibbana, to become fully liberated. So 
So therefore, understand that in order to, to be successful in all different aspects of, of your life, you should diligently practice and cultivate loving-kindness. May all of you, by cultivating metta in this way, um, be able to become virtuous persons and be successful in whatever aspect um, you under, in whatever activity you undertake. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. But we already have two. Yeah, I can't see the O she did that. Another O. Another O. Oh, but the most of it. Wait. Same up here. Okay. So, instructions for your metta meditation practice. It's still um, practicing metta for yourself for the first half of the sit or the walk. And after that, choose yet another person of the category of respected person or teacher or parents. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.